A new exhibition in Miaoli commemorates the life and work of the celebrated Taiwanese composer Guo Zhiyuan. Born in 1921, Guo is sometimes called the father of modern Taiwanese music. The exhibition is held at Guo's former residence in Miaoli and will run until late November. Concerts and panel discussions will also introduce music lovers to the world of Guo's work. Atena is accompanied on the piano as he sings a piece by the late living national treasure Guo Zhiyuan. To commemorate 100 years of the coastal railway line, a special exhibition is on at Guo's former residence at Yuanli Township every weekend from October 15th to November 20th. Visitors can see artifacts including rare photos and publications by the composer, thanks to the Guo Zhiyuan Music Association with support from the Ministry of Culture. It uses rather plain and straightforward proletariat language and not academic language, but it does have academic content. And each theme I chose for the display cases includes his documents, including his photographs, and even documents from when he was born and so on. The exhibition also features events including concerts and panel discussions and simple yet profound reflections on the artifacts on display. Visitors will come away with a deeper understanding not only of Guo's life and work, but also his place in Taiwan's musical history. We have three rooms in this exhibition. The first has six displays with different themes. Next to each case we have a QR code, for example, works for piano. When visitors go there and scan the code, they can hear a recording of the music. The exhibition builds a rich map of Taiwan's musical history and commemorates Guo's accomplishments. Music scholars have dedicated years to planning the show, the first to give the public a thorough insight into Guo's childhood and daily life as well as his work. The Ministry of Education has launched a central kitchen plan that aims to get healthy and nutritious meals for students in all rural areas of Taiwan at a lower cost. The plan offers subsidies for ingredients while raising salaries for cooks, nutritionists and food delivery staff. The government hopes that students in remote areas can enjoy quality school lunches. In order to get children in rural areas nutritious school lunches, the Executive Yuan launched a 6.3 billion NT plan to provide them with meals from central kitchens. The project also offers bigger subsidies to buy ingredients. When typhoons hit, the price of vegetables skyrockets. With the central kitchen, we can agree on prices based on the quantity. The subsidies for ingredients with triple accreditation and the traceable QR code allow children to eat well and at ease. Everything is thoroughly planned from the chefs and nutritionists to delivery in temperature-controlled environments. This way, students can enjoy their meals worry-free. It's also one fewer administrative procedure for teachers who can focus fully on teaching. In the past, the meals had to be served with the teacher at the side. But the job of teachers is to teach. So thanks to this, teachers have less administrative work to do. Schools say they hope the central kitchen plan will instill children with knowledge about food. Nutrition is not just about eating things every day. We think this central kitchen plan is not just about cooking, but also an opportunity for students to learn. The plan has created a network of central kitchens around Taiwan, which aim to get a piping hot meal to every student. 
The goal is for children around Taiwan to eat plenty and eat well and learn and grow healthily with the nutritious meals. In June this year, the defense chiefs of the U.S., Japan, Australia and other countries met together at the Shangri-La Singapore Hotel for a summit. A report by Australia's ABC News on Tuesday said between May and July, hackers infiltrated the booking systems of eight locations of the hotel chain. One security expert said the attack compromised the personal details of a security officials from several countries and that it was likely not an isolated incident. The defense ministers of the U.S., Japan and Australia have all made statements about regional security and security in the Taiwan Strait. China can't really use their stolen information about the officials to say anything about them. However, revealing details about their movements is also a form of countermeasure, or you could see it as a form of cognitive warfare. You've got network equipment manufacturer Huawei and security camera maker Hikvision. Perhaps we can go out on a limb here and say that many corporations, including Shangri-La, are using China-made equipment. This provides a convenient opportunity for China to infiltrate the country. It seems that the leaking of information about National Security Bureau Director General Chen Mingtong's visit to Thailand in July was not an isolated incident after all. It appears that China is simultaneously performing cyber attacks in different parts of the world to steal important information from different countries. This is probably a widespread phenomenon. In September, photographs of Chen Mingtong going through costumes in Thailand, details about his bill from a restaurant and other information were exposed on social media. Details about a trip to the U.S. by Defense Ministry official Jian Shiwei were also leaked on Chinese social media last month. Today in our new series, Women in Tech, we meet Angela Fong and Melody Xu. The duo in 2020 founded a platform that educates people about well-being. They also provides resources for people seeking wellness in their own lives. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang met the two founders to find out more about their platform. So we're going to launch this event, we're going to launch this week, mm-hmm. and then probably going to post on social media and IG story. This is Angela Fung and Melody Xu, the founders of It's a Platform that provides resources and educates people about wellness. A lot of people actually don't understand what wellness defined as. People think that it's exercise, eating, sleeping, but it's so much more. So how can we really bring, bring this culture to Asia? I think that's very important. We already see this a trend in the U.S. and Europe. It's very big on the wellness movement. We have we seen like company hiring the chief wellness uh, officer or chief happiness or officer, but how about, how about Asia, right? So I think that's where we see a good opportunity and we see how important it is and how can we create that awareness in the wellness industry. Um, moving forward, the trend would be in wellness and um, individual wellness as well as corporate wellness. And so we decided that we were going to um, create this platform to be able to reach more people. And I guess the ultimate goal is to be able to become like the biggest wellness platform in Asia. The platform, similar to the travel platform Airbnb, serves as a marketplace for wellness. It brings together wellness resources and classes such as Pilates, yoga, meditation and more. 
Their teachers and therapists are based around the world. Classes are held in person and online. Um, users can book directly, make a direct booking through us to reach directly to these teachers. We also do corporate wellness because we, like I said, we want to be able to reach um, a lot more people and promote wellness in general. I think community is very important in wellness to support each other, to help each other. So that's what we really want to do as well, to really create that big wellness community in Asia as well. Both Feng and Xu are successful entrepreneurs. Feng is a marketing expert, business executive, and venture capital manager. Xu is a sportswear entrepreneur and U.S.-certified AFPA healthy living coach. They give some tips for people that are starting their own business. I think personally, is uh, you can't be afraid to fail, right? I think uh, it's a lot of like trial, it's a lot of error, but I think you learn, right? It doesn't matter what you do; every experience is a learning experience. So don't be afraid, and then just keep trying, keep going. And as long as you're doing something you're passionate about, that you believe in, uh, eventually you'll make it. I feel like a lot of times we wait for the right timing or we're always trying to plan like things that kind of work out you know we're always trying to you know write a business plan and everything like that and while i think it's very important i think um actually just jumping in and starting because i feel like a lot of times um things will always be changing in such a fast-paced environment and the best way to learn is to really like just on the ground and go. After traveling the world and studying abroad, Feng and Xu hope to give back to Taiwan and to help more people live a wellness lifestyle. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Yang Bojie in Taipei. National Day is coming up and preparations are in full swing. On Wednesday, the Honor Guard gave reporters a preview of the exhibition drill they'll be performing at the National Day Parade. Organizers say the theme for this year is unity, which is reflected in the logos and slogans of the event. They say collective consciousness is a strong force that can bond a country together in adversity. They march in unison to the sound of music. Every year, the Honor Guard is a major highlight of the National Day Parade. Here, they are offering a sneak peek of the routine at the Military Police Command. They spin their rifles in the air in a perfectly timed choreography. And now for a tricky move, spinning the drill rifle using their left hands. Today we did our first group rehearsal, spinning the rifles with the left arm. Most people usually do it with their right arm. So it takes a long time and a lot of practice to get everyone to spin their rifles with the left hand in perfect sync. The troops are a sight to behold. They share the limelight with the musicians, who will be performing works they compose themselves. One of the pieces features themes from the compositions from 2014, 2017, and 2020. It's a majestic masterpiece. On Wednesday morning, the National Day Organization Committee held a press conference, which featured performances by members of the marching band of Taipei First Girls High School. The committee explained the design decisions behind this year's visuals, which have the theme of defending the nation together. Committee head Yoshi Kun stressed the collective consciousness as a unifying force. Just look at Ukraine today. The people of Ukraine have a government and a military, yet Russia still invaded them. We must perform at least as well as the Ukrainians in face of constant oppression from the CCP. We Taiwanese must recover the spirit of Taiwan. Yo pointed at Ukraine's response to Russia's invasion as an example of unity. 
This year, the National Day logo is in the shape of a shield, with lines converging at the center in four different colors. They represent the diversity of the people of Taiwan coming together united. With the big day fast approaching, performers are cramming in a few final rounds of practice for an immaculate performance on October 10th. In a piece published by The Atlantic on Monday, Rand Corporation President Jason Matheny argued that the solution to the U.S. chip problem is to protect Taiwan. Matheny said since Taiwan produces 98% of the world's advanced chips, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan would give China control over those chips. Alternatively, if the chip fabs were destroyed in a conflict, it would be a global disaster, he said. Since the U.S. may not be able to respond in time to help during a conflict, it should act now to help Taiwan develop a, quote, porcupine defensive strategy. Matheny said this would involve the use of weaponry like the high-mobility artillery rocket system, drones, loitering munition, anti-tank missiles, and sea mines. He added that this could be done at relatively low cost. Taiwan reported 54,874 local COVID cases on Wednesday, breaking past 50,000 daily cases for the first time in more than three months. Health officials say cases may not have peaked and could continue to rise in coming days. Let's hear from the CECC. Today, we're adding 54,874 local cases. That's more than we reported yesterday. It's just the weekly trend. Cases today were 13% higher than Wednesday last week. That shows that Taiwan is still at a plateau of high case counts. Cases have exceeded the 50,000 mark. It looks like a fluctuation in this high plateau. Daily cases are trending up. So is today the peak of the wave? According to our estimates, yes it is. But could cases go higher? That is also a possibility. Despite the possibility of rising case numbers, the CECC says its easing of COVID rules will continue as scheduled, with the removal of travel quarantine starting October 13th. Moderna's next-gen COVID vaccines will become available to all people aged 18 and up after the National Day long weekend. Health officials say they are currently not planning on easing the mask mandate as infections remain high. Immigrants from all over the world come to Taiwan where they find work, start families and contribute to making the island so special. In today's installment of An Immigrant Story, we meet Colin Hodge, the founder of human rights group called Snowball Community. Our very own Stephanie Yang sat down with the American entrepreneur to find out more about his work. Snowball is an impact-focused community for human rights and freedoms in Asia. This is Colin Hodge, the founder of Snowball Community, a group of people that gather together to brainstorm ideas about promoting human rights and freedom in Asia. Hodge says Taiwan is a vibrant democracy and a beacon of hope when it comes to human rights. We started Snowball a bit over a year and a half ago, and Snowball is a community for people who care about human rights and freedoms, especially in Asia, and Taiwan being the most free country in Asia and most democratic country, we really felt it was important to start it here where there's a freedom of press, freedom of speech, 
and we could grow a community to help not only people in Taiwan and to help Taiwan have a bigger stage worldwide, but also to help other countries in Asia and other activists in those countries. You can find all the ratings that we've done to rate the top 20 bubble tea shops. One project that the startup launched is a campaign relating to bubble tea stores in Taiwan. Instead of judging how tasty each store's tea is, the team assessed the human rights records of various stores and determined how supportive they are of authoritarian governments. The assessment process includes deducting points based on whether individual stores violated labor and food safety laws, as well as a number of branches each store operates in China and whether they've released pro-China statements during the Hong Kong protests. We did a drink or not campaign. Um, the core of this was basically we wanted to make it very easy for people in Taiwan to have an impact. Uh, so how can you, with an everyday purchase, make an impact on that? And so we did a lot of research, uh, over 50 hours of research, trying to find what are the best behaving companies when it comes to their ownership structure, their labor rights issues, and frankly, their ties to authoritarian governments or democratic governments. And so what we found is basically a guide, a very simple guide rating everything from great all the way to avoid it. And it gives people a way when you buy your bubble tea or your milk tea every day to have that impact by supporting the better shops and not supporting as much the negative shops. Fast fashion is one of them that frankly usually has uh, pretty poor behavior. One of the community's recent projects include raising awareness about the harsh working conditions of certain fashion brands to encourage people to develop sustainable consumption habits. We try to look at lots of different industries and uh, give some spotlight, I guess, to make sure that people know um, what industries and what companies are behaving poorly. Um, a lot of them, for instance, will end up putting out a uh, statement because they feel that public pressure in the Western world or democratic world uh, to not do, for instance, uh, to not have slave labor in China, to not use uh, any cotton from the Xinjiang region. But then they slide back and they, you know, a few months later when the fury dies down, they'll go and start uh, enacting those poor policies again or kowtowing to the Chinese government again. So we try to put a spotlight on companies like that. Um, a big thing that we look at is, frankly, fashion is just one of the worst industries across the board. Hodge is a tech entrepreneur from the state of Pennsylvania in the U.S. In the past, he founded a dating app and managed an online video platform. Six years ago, business opportunities brought Hodge to Taiwan for the first time. I love Taiwan because a lot of it is uh, challenging. At the same time, it's also very convenient and comfortable. So it's challenging because obviously learning Chinese learning the cultural differences and how to be successful in this market is very difficult for a foreigner but also it's convenient because getting around the city uh, having fresh air fresh greenery biking everywhere walking everywhere the transport is nice and the people are just very welcoming in general one of the big things that we we're hoping to find now is collaborate with other organizations in taiwan and abroad so that we can have a bigger impact overall uh, the truth is that democracy and freedom are under threat worldwide. They're under threat in Taiwan, they're under threat in my home country in America. And we want to be a force as citizens 
pushing back against those bad actors and authoritarian governments. Hart says he hopes to grow the snowball community. He also hopes to raise awareness and improve human rights and freedom around the world. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang, Wang Yanchen, and Cai Tianyou in Taipei.